On behalf of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy at the University of Cambridge, uh, I'm grateful uh, for this opportunity to speak with you uh, today, dear Darren. Uh, Darren Walker is the 10th president of the Ford Foundation uh, and for over 20 years has been making his mark uh, on the nonprofit and philanthropic landscapes. Uh, he led the philanthropy committee that pulled the city of Detroit uh, out of its historic bankruptcy and managed an initiative to rebuild uh, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina uh, during his tenure as vice president of the Rockefeller Foundation. In the 90s, uh, Darren was the CEO of Abyssinian Development Corporation uh, when he oversaw the revitalization program in Harlem that produced more than a thousand new units of housing, as well as the development of the first public school built in New York City by a community organization. Darren currently serves uh, on the boards of PepsiCo, Ralph Lauren Corporation, Square Inc., and several nonprofit organizations, including the National Gallery of Arts, Lincoln Center for Performing Arts, Friends of the Highline, and Carnegie Hall. Uh, he chairs the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance Advisory Board and is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations uh, and the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Uh, Darren is a recipient of 13 honorary degrees and Time Magazine has named him as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. Darren, for eight years now, you've been responsible for managing more than half a billion dollars in annual giving by the Ford Foundation, uh, which is one of the largest foundations in the US. Can you start by telling us about the Ford Foundation uh, and its uh, philosophy and the thing that it's most focused on today? And also, can you imagine a day when the foundation's support would not be necessary in a world that is free from inequalities? Well, thank you, Bader. It's great to be with you. I'm such an admirer of your leadership and um, both as a businessman and as a philanthropist have set a model of excellence um, and exemplary leadership. So thank you. The Ford Foundation was founded by Henry Ford and his son, Edsel Ford, in 1936. Uh, one of the uh, missions of the Ford Foundation as established by Henry Ford II, uh, who ran the foundation for a number of years, was to strengthen democracy and democratic practice and in institutions around the world. Uh, today, we have uh, a focus on inequality because we believe that inequality is harmful to democracy, that inequality is indeed a threat, that in countries where there is growing inequality, uh, there is growing hopelessness. And at the end of the day, hope is the oxygen of democracy. Societies where uh, there is more hope and optimism are societies where democracy has the opportunity to thrive and flourish. So we today are focusing on inequality in all its forms. Uh, I uh, absolutely am a proponent of uh, Carnegie's idea uh, in his historic gospel of wealth where he talked about generosity and charity. But I also am inspired by the words of Dr. Martin Luther King who in 1968 said the following about philanthropy. Philanthropy is commendable but it should not allow the philanthropist to overlook 
the economic injustice which makes philanthropy necessary. What Dr. King was saying was the work, yes, Mr. Carnegie, is about generosity. We must be charitable, but we must also pursue justice and pursue the dignity for every person. And in order to do that, we have to look at the systems and structures that produce inequality and, and to explore those uh, and to make them uh, fairer, uh, to make them systems where opportunity abounds and that uh, bias, prejudice, discrimination uh, is not a barrier to uh, people having their aspirations and their dreams realized. So we are fighting for that, supporting organizations, working uh, in the various arenas uh, of the arts, uh, technology and society, uh, racial and ethnic uh, and gender justice issues, um, our issues of civic engagement and the public square. These are all our priority programs. And I do look forward to a day when there isn't a need for the Ford Foundation, but democracy is always a contested experience in a society. And so we can never take it for granted. And so the work of philanthropy focused on democracy uh, is likely to be necessary and needed for many, many generations to come. And Darren, I've heard you refer to collaboration as a strategy in helping to advance a foundation's mission. Examples of true collaboration between foundations and between donors are often hard to come by, uh, especially in some parts of the world where the institutionalization of philanthropy uh, is less pre prevalent. And uh, for cultural reasons, people see philanthropy as more of a personal uh, or individual affair. How are attitudes to collaborative philanthropy in the US evolving uh, over time when compared to, say, some of the other regions that you're present in, uh, namely in places like China and Central and South America? Well, there's no doubt, <clears throat> there's no doubt that philanthropy, philanthropists are collaborating more because we realize that the complexity of the world requires uh, our collective resources. There is no problem the Ford Foundation is working on that we alone can solve. Uh, the Gates Foundation alone cannot solve the challenges it is, it is working on, even though it's the largest foundation in the world. So we have to collaborate. Uh, the barriers to that, uh, Bader, you are right. Individuals uh, like to see uh, their own um, brand, their own um, priority. And sometimes we have to, uh, when we come together for the greater good, have to put our egos and logos aside a bit and uh, allow the ideas to drive uh, the discussions about how we invest. Um, and, and I just think that at, at, at the end of the day, uh, we, uh, humility is required uh, to really engage in some of the big problems we're dealing with uh, in the world today. So Darren, I've personally been uh, very focused on helping to launch philanthropic initiatives that enhance the infrastructure uh, and systems upon which philanthropy is practiced, especially in uh, and across a number of uh, growth markets. You've launched the BUILD program through which the Ford Foundation pledged a billion dollars in unrestricted funding to support nonprofits 
uh, in, uh, uh, in developing their internal infrastructure. How do you measure the impact of this contribution uh, over time? And do you see a general trend from the donor community in your network towards a greater acceptance of funding towards infrastructure and, uh, and overheads? Well, I think, Bader, it's why uh, one of the many reasons I admire you, investing in infrastructure is not sexy and exciting, but it's the work that has to be done. Um, it's the necessary inputs that provide the platforms for higher performing, more effective philanthropy. Um, it makes it possible for philanthropists who want to listen and hear what are the best practices? How can we save you money uh, from making mistakes that have been make it, made by other philanthropists? Uh, and I think that infrastructure is critical. And yes, it is possible to measure. Uh, there are KPIs for unrestricted grants uh, in those um, grant organizations who uh, are making improvements, whether it be in their governance, their fundraising, their outreach, uh, their ability to convene. Uh, there are a number of ways to look at uh, progress and to measure uh, impact. So I'm a believer that we have got to invest in the infrastructure that uh, makes it possible uh, to really um, um, cohere, develop, um, and amplify philanthropy. We are, as you know, having uh, this conversation as part of the, uh, or a series hosted by the Center for Strategic Philanthropy at Cambridge, which is focused exclusively on philanthropy, both uh, within and from uh, the world's uh, so-called emerging markets or growth markets. Some of the Ford Foundation's programs focus on climate change, civic engagement, uh, and gender, racial, and ethnic uh, injustice in these uh, regions. From your experience working in countries like Egypt, South Africa, Indonesia, have you noticed a change in the nature and also prevalence of philanthropy in these places? And what do you think is driving some of this change? Well, absolutely. Some of the most exciting uh, nascent philanthropy is happening in these regions. Uh, for the first time, we are seeing um, wealth um, aggregated at a level where people can really begin to invest in, in nonprofits and civil society. We're also seeing um, policy start to uh, more, more encourage uh, philanthropy. We are uh, seeing uh, the growth of, of civil society in those uh, regions. And we're seeing philanthropists uh, beginning to understand uh, what giving back really means in their context uh, and, uh, and, and addressing those cultural issues, uh, the issues uh, where the idea is, well, this is the, the role of the state uh, or uh, this is uh, the, the role of, of, of the, the charitable organizations, but where does my giving fit into that? Uh, so I just think there is a greater awareness, there is a greater engagement, uh, there is more um, I think um, community building through um, programs uh, like uh, your center, uh, like uh, the Synergos Rockefeller uh, efforts, um, there is more of a sense of building a shared uh, responsibility uh, for those who have prospered 
particularly during these last uh, few years, to, to really engage in the conversation of what can I do to improve uh, my community, my region. And in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, you raised a billion dollars by issuing AAA-rated social bonds, uh, which I understand sold out in a few hours and enabled the foundation to double its payments to needy grantees. Um, do you see the new finan financial instruments such as social bonds becoming integral part of foundations' toolkits? And uh, do you see an increasing role for venture philanthropy in the years to come? And how do you see that pool of capital working uh, alongside the traditional uh, philanthropic capital? Sure, there's no doubt that the social bond that we issued resonated first with the markets. As you say, it was oversubscribed by six times. Um, and it was priced very attractively uh, as a 50-year uh, bond. The uh, number of foundations who have joined, uh, we're now, I think, eight or 10 foundations who have issued bonds. Uh, many more are looking at uh, issuing uh, bonds. The question of venture capital uh, and the alignment of venture capital and venture philanthropy with uh, traditional uh, grant making uh, is happening in real time. We are seeing uh, endowments, investment offices, family offices uh, begin to look at uh, uh, the kind of double bottom line investing that ensures that uh, the investor receives both the financial return and the social return. And certainly among younger investors, uh, the children and grandchildren, uh, and those new entrepreneurs who have created their own wealth, uh, we are absolutely seeing uh, a concern about ESG, uh, a concern about uh, the ways in which their investments are used to advance um, a, a, a better uh, planet, uh, to uh, ensure that um, there is greater opportunity for women. I mean, there are a number of ways in which we're seeing um, this, this, this new venture philanthropy really impact both the markets and uh, society more broadly. And on uh, a final question in relation to uh, our ultimate stakeholder, uh, our youth, um, for the young philanthropists watching this that are seeking to disrupt uh, the status quo with uh, some of these new models of giving, including those seeking a much deeper connection with the impact of their giving. Uh, what advice would you give them on, uh, one, what has worked well so far that doesn't necessarily need disrupting, uh, and two, where they can focus their efforts to affect change for the better in how philanthropy uh, is practiced? Well, I think, Bada, uh, there is no doubt that a lot of mistakes have been made in philanthropy over the years. Uh, too often, um, particularly in places like Africa, um, India, uh, South Asia, and other regions, uh, we have in, in, in the US and Europe especially designed programs for Africans, designed uh, uh, initiatives um, that uh, really had very little input from people in those regions. And I think what the next generation of philanthropists understand uh, are those mistakes. They understand the need to be proximate to the problems and the people. They understand the need to listen 
uh, to uh, bring into the design process uh, the thinking and, and lived experience of people so that we don't uh, over uh, compensate uh, the, the uh, experts with PhDs at the expense of not listening to people who are closest and most proximate to the problem. And so I'm excited because we're seeing this new generation of philanthropists who are very excited about getting proximate, very eager to hear and listen and internalize what they hear. And in turn, um, understand that impact uh, doesn't happen in a one or two uh, year grant cycle. Um, they are interested in big challenging problems like climate change, uh, like vaccine equity. Um, these are monumental uh, challenges, including of course, inequality. Um, but I'm excited because I see so many people committing themselves and their philanthropy to solving these problems. Dear Darren, thank you again for taking the time to speak with me and for sharing uh, your inspiring story and, and very informative insights. Uh, this has been an important contribution to the work uh, of the Center for Strategic Philanthropy and I Look forward to the um, opportunity to continue this conversation and explore collaboration uh, in achieving our uh, respective goals. Thank you. Thank you, Bader. I look forward to it.